0: Welcome to the Native Informant Podcast.
1: Amazing, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm very well, I'm very well, how are you?
0: Great, good to have you. I wanted you to take the moment to introduce yourself because this podcast is going to be really interesting. So take it away.
1: So I'm the co-founder of Mentality amongst a few other things. And Mentality basically is a space where we discuss issues that pertain to men. We have a few verticals, podcasts, community, events and things of that nature where we basically unpack Topics pertaining to, you know, men, manhood, masculinity, and the male experience, really. But that doesn't mean we only speak to men. We speak to women by extension because, obviously, women are our partners in crime in many instances. So, yeah, we want to support amicable discourse and relationships between the sexes.
0: Why do you think that conversation is so important?
1: I feel like it's important because men typically haven't been had a space to kind of discuss their issues. You know, suck it up, deal with it, you're a man, it's part of the male experience, which I'm not completely against. I just think it lacks pragmatism because how are you going to lean on solution orientation when you're not discussing your issues? Hence, mentality was formed and we wanted to start to kind of forge a space that brings certain men's topics to the forefront like dating, fatherhood, economics, and and things that are very closely uh, tied to the male experience and that men put on a pedestal in many instances.
0: My question to you is how do you define masculinity? This is a term that gets thrown around quite a lot nowadays, and I feel like it's transformed even in the last year. So how would you define it?
1: I think the first place I would start is that masculinity doesn't only pertain to men it pertains to both sexes, as does femininity, it's an essence, right? And there's times where you need to be more in your masculine, there's times where you need to be more in your feminine receptive energy. So that's the first thing, I think the idea of manhood and masculinity has become so conflated, where it's lots is true essence and meaning. I think there is also societal and cultural nuances to the idea of masculinity, because it's affected depending on the geographical location you're in. But there are certain tenets that stand true across the board. And this is kind of backed by the conversation we've had so you've got protector you've got provider you've got lover you've got father and that's the kind of essence that the masculinity falls within you kind of think of it as like yin and yang the masculine and the feminine energy so they're the balance of the two so i wouldn't describe it as i wouldn't completely define it as being completely tangible i think there are a lot of intangible nuances to masculinity and i think that's where the idea of masculinity gets lost because we try to you know conceptualize it's a human experience right we want to make everything make sense. We try to put it and define it within these set boundaries, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. And it changes depending on where you go in the world. Like in the UAE, it looks very different to like the UK, for example, right? So yeah, I'll, I'll describe masculinity as just an, an essence.
0: It's really interesting that you'd say that it's an essence. It kind of reminds me of a book I read recently, which is, I mean, it was a very short book. It's by James Allen. It's called As a Man Thinketh. I Uh, just
1: referenced that book. Really? Not long ago, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: then we can go kind of, we can dive deep into Mm. it. Because what I found really interesting, above everything, he spoke about the idea of taking on or being able to control your emotions Mm. when we talk about what a high value man is now Mm. i feel the idea of what masculinity is gets lost along the way when it comes to self-control and that could be in avenues of monogamy or can be in avenues of not giving into desire Mm. so what are your thoughts on that
1: well we're told to exercise discernment in a lot of areas of life right you know especially you use words like high-value man, and there's a lot of connotations around it, right? Being fit and in shape, so you have to be discerning with the food you eat and your exercise routine and things like that nature. You know, economics, again, a big pillar when it comes to masculinity and manhood. You know, you have to be uh, entrepreneurial per se, right? And you have to work on that. But when it comes to women and dating, it's like, Exercise no discernment. Sleep with who you want. Sleep with as many women as you can, and that is completely juxtaposed to the core essence of what it is that pertains to masculinity, manhood, high value man, whatever you want to call it, right? So, why is it that is subject that is we're so absorbed of, and it really is one of the core essences of of our life experience, right? Procreation, but it's like sex and procreation. As there's a dissonance between the two of them now. We're not making the the connection that if I actually lay down with this woman, I could potentially bring forth life with her. Obviously, with birth control and and things of that nature, I can see how that dissonance has occurred. But ultimately, as a man, that's probably the place where you need to be most discerned. But we're not. It's a vice, guys, as a virtue. I do think you should be, you know, you should have some understanding of of women. But that doesn't mean necessarily you have to get in bed with them, right?
0: So do you feel that a man's truest form is when he is totally honest and totally virtuous at the same time Mm. or is it that the polarities of masculinity can also breed toxic masculinity they pick and choose what it means to be masculine that they kind of go okay you know what i say goes what Mm. i decide is is kind of what is right for me because Mm. i'm the protector i'm the provider Mm. i profess my love in in all categories Mm. and that's Mm. what a high value man is because Mm. you know, you have men that say self-worth is directly correlated to his net worth, Mm. then that makes him a high value man. What are the top three things that make a high value man? What would you say?
1: Before I ask that question, I'm gonna go back to one thing just because I think the reason why we use the monetary metric is because it's tangible Mm -hmm. and it kind of adds to that understanding element, right? If I tell you a million dollars, there's no misunderstanding between what it is I'm saying. I think when you talk about all the other nuanced stuff, mm-hmm. it is very, not only very nuanced, but it can look very different, you know, from from your lens, from my lens and from the external lens. When I think about um, what I would connotate with a high value man, I think truth is definitely up there for sure. Um, being a man of your word, being someone who, who sticks to what you say, so being someone who's congruent across, across all realms. And, and even when you're not, you can be truthful in that and kind of stand on that. And, and also correct, I think that's, that's one thing. I think living not only for yourself, but for the collective, and it goes back to the provider, right? So you think about this self-serving, I am God sort of attitude at what I say goes, it becomes so subjective that it no longer impacts you know, the macro, it's just about you and your micro experience and actually cause a lot of detriment along the lines of that, right? Because let's say for example, I talk about women, right? You're having loads of casual sex with women, but then you're complaining that there's no wives. Well, then you're not forging the, the the reconciliation of of the issue. You actually further facilitate that by creating more women that will not be wives by having casual sex out of wedlock with them. And then I'd also kind of add to that the provider element, and I think it kind of ties into with the, the protector and the provider because ultimately you need resources in this world, right? You need resources to do things. So. Whereas maybe before, before the monetary system, before we had this exchange, or maybe it was barter, it looked it looked very different. But you still had to be, you had something, you had to have something of value to exchange with other people. Even with that, that, that takes me down, you know, so many different segues you can go down that because you think about competency. Because if you're competent, your ability to provide and protect is going to be far higher. You have a greater capacity. So I'd actually change that last point actually to competency because I think you need to be capable as a man. And I think the problem is with a lot of these guys, they're, they're competent when it comes to finances, but they lack competencies in many other areas of life. And then they make that their, their, their pitchfork of what it is that being a high-value man is because naturally we, you know, in in many instances, people kowtow to the idea of money nowadays. It's like money has become the new God, right? So you can understand why we're leaning on that so heavily.
0: It reminds me, uh, and I would mentioned this in, an, in in another conversation that I had with somebody about Lewis book, The Mask of Masculinity, mm. and how men wear different masks depending on their lived experience and mm. how experience of trauma or certain life lessons can alter and shape the way men wear mm. masks. Put on a mask and take one off. You mm. have the stoic mask. You have the alpha mask. You yeah. have the joker mask. Mm. And from the conversations that you have with men, what type of masks do you think that they constantly wear? that they can't drop
1: it's funny because if you were to ask me that question a few years ago they had a completely different answer however i feel like i speak to because of my experience of life i speak for the minority of men so i speak for the majority for the moment at least with regards to what i see from my anecdote right Mm -hmm. is victimhood they victimize themselves they make it seem like the the male experience is far more difficult than it is and yes the male experience is difficult right we face a lot of battles but ultimately i think there's this sense of entitlement that comes as a byproduct of the victimhood that they expect the results despite the fact their competency not being asymmetrical to what the results they want in this world I say for example men circles right you know the men they need help right and we're here to help but you hear a lot of whinging and complaining about their lives like oh, i can't get the woman i want eight in a financial situation i want and then you look at their daily rituals and habits and you're like well What did you expect right you're in poor shape you 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 don't you spend your weekends gallivanting around dubai doing god knows you haven't developed any of the virtues that are going to make you a suitor for a woman a suitor for the sort of economic situation you want to be in a suitor for anything even a suitor for the network of men you want to be around right because Naturally, value begets more value, right? If I'm mm-hmm. valuable, I'll be around. It's going to be, you know, consistent throughout my experience with the people I'm surrounded by. So, yeah, that, that's what I kind of see, and and it and it irks me a little bit. But there's definitely a sense of victimhood and, and entitlement.
0: It's interesting that you should say that about victimhood, Mm. but it really lends itself to women as well. And I think that victimhood seems to be peppered around this new understanding of what it means to be a feminist and this Mm. idea that we need to boy bash or get men out of the conversation in order for women to reclaim their rightful place (laughs) in society. And it's something that, as you said, it it irks you, it irks me too. And so (laughs) I feel it's a shared experience of victimhood that seems to be whispers in society. Mm. When I kind of press on the idea of you say, on one avenue it's victimhood and entitlement but what do you feel like they're excelling at that they perhaps should lean into more?
1: I suppose I set the bar very high is what I would say because my life experience has led to me fortifying such a character that the chasm between me and men in general but particularly men of my age group is just so so vast and wide and I don't say that to kind of kind of toot my own horn but it makes it difficult to answer that question because when I look at it, I'm like, I don't see very much. I don't see very much at all that men are excelling at. What I would say is, is men are trying to live up to the standards that were placed before them, the protector, the provider, and there are certain stresses and pressures that come as a byproduct of that. I think also an additional kind of part of that is women's newfound success especially when it comes to the work sector which has inadvertently risen the bar you know women are hypergamous by nature mm. and the reason why i go down this this kind of olive branch is because everything we do on a biological level is to find a mate right it's, and survival it's, exactly right it's, it, it exists at that level so women are a big placeholder for men because ultimately everything that we do is for women right so women become more economically capable that raises the bar women especially socioeconomically, only want to date men across and up women have become more competent Men are not necessarily following suit. And then women are kind of in this space where there's fewer and fewer men to choose from. Mm -hmm. But I think men are still trying to live up to these traditional values, right? The women are kind of devoid of a lot of these men because before, you know, women were housewives and the man provided and he he earned a salary that could pay for suit. Now it's like men and women work, salaries are cut in half. You know, there are subsector women that are earning more than men are earning the same. Mm -hmm. And then there becomes this overinflated expectation on men. And a lot of men are looking at it like, Fuck, there's no way I'm gonna be able to live up to that, which ultimately leads to them kind of just conceding to that idea of even being better. So with regards to that, I, I don't really know because I don't I haven't seen any obvious increase in any particular area over the past maybe five years.
0: I was listening to uh, a conversation with a divorce lawyer and the question that was asked to him was, what are the current trends you're seeing as a divorce lawyer? And he said the most common thing that he's been seeing as a trend, and of course this is not to say for everyone, but this is just his experience, is that the women are doing everything. They are the carers of the home. They raise the children, they cook, they clean, and they financially provide, and the men disengage. And so it's not necessarily that that levels the men up where they feel that they want to, you know, reinforce their masculinity or find a place to exist within that dynamic of marriage. Mm. They would rather tap out Mm. and remove themselves. And Shalyn Lester had mentioned it and she had said, I'm really butchering this and people are going to come for me for Mm. it. So. You know, bear with me. But they asked men, would you be okay with dating or being with women that had a higher salary to you? And their answer was like, yeah, sure, absolutely, no problem at all. And then the second phase of the experiment was they put those men in rooms with women that were operating at a higher salary. And 80% of those men changed their minds when they were interacting in the same space as the women. Mm -hmm. And also they couldn't even be in a physical proximity to women that were financially more successful than they were Mm. which i found absolutely fascinating so Mm. do you feel like the onus is on women the onus is on men or both
1: i i feel like there's been a there's there's an overarching agenda that's happening right it's to you know emasculate and feminize men and to make women more masculine we're seeing it happening and it's not only happening just in the workplace it's happening in broader society and then this idea that you know anything that is inherently male is toxic, right? You know, like I said, a a man being, you know, a little bit more authoritarian, a bit more um, disagreeable. Things of that nature, it's like, no, 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 we need to kind of get all of that out of society and neuter men down and everything that's inherently intrinsic to being a man we're being made to second-guess that and then women are being revered for deploying the same the same sorts of traits right so i totally get that and even with that study that's quite interesting because i think what comes with as a byproduct of women excelling in the workforce is largely kind of male oriented and male dominated and that's what's going to get you up through the hierarchies especially if you're thinking about things like c-suite corporates and and things of that nature they end up becoming more masculine and it becomes a little bit distasteful for men because it's like, where do we go? Is it going to become a dick measuring contest? Like, where where do we go from here, right? So instead of biting hands, just like, cool, I'm just going to concede to the idea of being in and around this woman and then you see it happening, right? So but And why and concede? Because it's men already fight with a lot of things in regards to life in general. And I think when, it, especially as it pertains to women, women are our safe space, women are our mothers, women are our sisters, women are our peace. And when, you know, you're out in the work work world you're out in this wider society and you're going through, you're facing all these battles and trials and tribulations as a man, you're, you're fortifying your character. You come back home, you don't want that same energy. You want something that's going to be the antithesis of that, right? You want the exact opposite. I think as long as, I'm, I'm a massive champion of you know female success, but I don't think women should lose that feminine in essence in the workforce and i think as long as we can keep that that's perfect and and even thinking about women earning more and men dating those sorts of women if you have the more traditional male and female roles i think it can still work but ultimately it becomes a thing where again going back to hypergamy right if she can be okay with the idea of you earning less than her that's fine but a lot of women can't be okay with that because they're hypergamous what i would say to the women who are with men that in this in a current situation they are earning more than and they're suspecting that this guy would be earning more in the future if that guy is confident enough, he can go forth to her and say, look, we need a couple more years of what you've got going on. This is my plan. This is what I'd like to do. I'd like us to, to pull our resources and do this, which means that he's, in, he's acting within his masculinity and she's creating a safe space for her to be in her femininity. And then that's going to overall impact the nuclear family in a better way. But I think a lot of times that space isn't created. And I think ultimately, if I'm going to look at it, devoid of the societal agenda, I think the onus has to fall on men. Because if we consider ourselves the protectors and providers of society, Anything that comes into our society, we must have tacitly approved to it to some degree at some level. And I think a lot of these things come as a byproduct of things that we naturally benefit of, like, you know, promiscuity, for example, which has affected the household, which has affected broader society. Right? Can't complain about female promiscuity if you're not only indulging in that, but also turning the other cheek because it benefits you
0: it's interesting that you would say for men and women's levels on promiscuity and it seems to be the body count is all the rage in Mm. these other conversations that are happening that they put so much weight on how many people that you you know you've bedded versus how many women have bedded and and that seems to be the marker of what it means to be a a respectful woman in today's society but the problem is is that it seems like what's happening with men versus what's happening with women they collapse into one another Mm. that they almost kind of miss the boats like shoot Two ships passing in the night. And I just find it so interesting that men and women are so different. Mm. And I think what you said, that's this idea of men becoming inherently more feminine and women inherently becoming more masculine, that it's it's switching out the roles when we are biologically hardwired not to be like that. Mm. So there's a great experiment that was done in college campuses with men and women in psychology classes and they got everyone to close their eyes and they said, what would you rather have, your partner cheat on you physically or cheat on you emotionally? When it was cheating on you physically, a vast majority of the women put off their hands. And when it was Mm. emotional cheating, the vast majority of men put up their hands. It goes to show how fundamentally different men and women are and what their views on intersexual dynamics
1: are. I think it makes, it makes perfect sense, right? Because, bring it back to its bare bones, right? Women exchange attention. So uh, a man gives you their attention, their time, their, their, their provisionings, right? In exchange for sexual access, right? Which, which really in, is an umbrella term for, you know, procreation, right? So... You could imagine if a man spending more time with another woman you can see how that becomes in inherently adversarial to what it is they have whereas for a man he's given his physical presence to her he's given his his body to her right in in the in the case of procreation right that's the exchange: it's the attention for you know sexual activity so you can see how from his perspective in what he values that is like what's gonna causing problems with regards to that exchange if you flip it on both sides i think it also does affect our but not as much so you know someone that's being cheated on a woman for example the questions they want to have answered is did you text her how many dates did you go on how many times was it it's, it's all the it's things the outside details, yeah. of the sex yeah and for a man it's, it's almost like what goes on in his head maybe he doesn't ask it what goes on in his head was like what was the sex was like was he was he bigger than me how long did he go for what did he do with her it's, it's more about the actual physical act of the yeah. sex but yeah we are very different in 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 a lot of regards but I think when you see that and you strip it back to the bare bones it makes sense why that study would prove to be um in that in that incline
0: so Corey I want to ask you what are your thoughts on this manosphere situation I feel like we have to get into it because it seems to be all the rage
1: there's a lot of pseudo coaches is what I'd say there's a lot of sheeps in wolves' clothing um a lot of men pretending to be something that they're not they miss the valuable parts of the manosphere and i think the manosphere has changed and i think when we talk about the manosphere we've got to talk about people like rollo tomasi right when it you know you think about initial like red red pill blue pill was sort yeah. of formed he's he's the godfather of that right but it was more about dating and women but it's evolved now and become more about being multifaceted in in many different areas of life which i kind of champion i think a man should be multifaceted, a valuable and a competent uh, pillar in society. So I like those parts of it. The stuff surrounding dating, not so much so, but the water is very muddy over there also. So yeah, I think it takes a discerned mind to be able to take value from that. But I think in the macro, people in general, they tend to take the things that serve their their narratives and run with that dating X amount of women and sleeping and in bedding X amount of women. It's just a low hanging fruit, right? So I can achieve that now with very little work. So that's what I'm going to lean and hinge on so heavily. But you're forgetting all the other prerequisite steps, all the other steps that compilate this entire, you know, manosphere. So I think, yeah, if you're discerned, if you're a person who, despite women and, and things of that nature, the really low hanging fruits can apply yourself, I think it would do you good. But there's a lot of people that are not that way inclined.
0: Yeah, I get that. And what I find really funny that's been happening is this idea of being too red-pilled. This is trad wife's trend Mm. where women are advocating for traditional values and being sort of carers of the home and taking care of children, whilst at the same time allowing for certain things that would Mm. be considered socially or culturally unacceptable slip through the cracks. Mm. In a way, it's this kind of indirect feeding of false information to either a younger generation or a younger audience to to think, okay, if I want to get to that stage, or if I want to be picked through this hypergamous journey that I'm on, this is what I need to do. Mm. So what do you say to that?
1: If women are hypergamous right and if we look back at history you know only a small subsector of men have procreated with all of the women you know women want the highest and and best most competent men to be able to procreate with right that's why women typically have more of one artist they they want you know they want to pick from the highest branch whereas a man might want to pick from the lowest branch but he wants as many apples as he can attain so biologically it makes sense because a man gets to a point where he has the pick of the litter if you will right and then he's going to decide whether he's going to act on that or not. Now, monogamy is completely juxtaposed to that idea, and monogamy only really suits the the female imperative as it pertains to dating. And then you think about the men that have the pick of the litter, they have all of the options. So. The question belies then is, why would a man work on himself so rigorously and so so hard to get to a point where he had all of these options to say, I'm going to now pick one? So that's the question that's kind of being dissected. And and I suppose a lot of these, you know, these trad wife women are kind of conceding to this idea that, look, he's going to cheat anyway. Because um, a lot of these men do. But again, whether he's cheating, you know, and he's telling his wife what he's going to be doing looks very different than if he's cheating behind her back. So I think if they're happy with that, that's fine. But I think when you kind of, completely clad everything with the same brush and say, look, if you want a quote unquote high value man, these are the things you're gonna have to concede to. I think it can become a little bit disingenuous, but overarchingly as a macro prospectus, I think it makes sense because a lot of these things is kind of just damage limitation. It's like the breaking up of that nuclear family. And if you're gonna go down the polygamy route, are you gonna make it that your nuclear family? And in many cases they don't, which, you know, as we know, single parent households and things that nature massively detriments children. And as men, as protectors and providers, we've got to think about those things and think more outside of ourselves.
0: We've now just dissected hypergamy, but if we really think about it in terms of its cultural context, hypergamy is really embedded in the fabric of most Middle Eastern cultures already. Mm. You don't Mm. really need to date up and across as a means for survival. It's part of suggested marriages or arranged marriages. Mm. And so the dating sphere, I think is quite new when you think about how Western influence has trickled into other cultures much more different to what the western narrative Mm. has to offer Mm. so when we talk about hypergamy how do you think it's fed into the conversations that you've had with men and i'm sure you've had men that come from all cultural backgrounds Mm. what do they say to that notion
1: i don't even think it's something that's fed into the fabric of society i think it's it's just how women are you know and i'll give you some tangible kind of metrics right Women typically want men that's taller than them. They want men that's bigger and stronger than them, right? This and this ties into like sexual dimorphism, right? You want someone who's bigger and stronger and can kind of represents the polarity and the difference between the male and the, the female species, right? You want a guy typically who earns more than you, you want a guy who's maybe more intelligent than you, and things of that nature, right? Women are women are looking for those sorts of men.
0: I know, but if you go through the route of suggesting marriages or arranged marriages, mm. you're, it's almost preordained. You don't mm. have to select that process. Mm. And it's not a means for survival because mm. it's either been already decided from the get-go mm. or you've been within people of the same ilk or of the same echelon that the struggle isn't that difficult. So mm. I would have to sort of push back on the <laughs> statement of it being part of a society because it, it really is. If, if we were in a situation where the classic example of hypergamy and, the, and where it's exercises, of course, like online dating, mm. where men are dating a vast majority of women, physically attractive women from, you know, great backgrounds, great moral compass. Those women waste so many years mm. fighting this hypergamous battle with other women and then they lose out on their reproductive phase of their yeah. life.
1: When when you talk about hypergamy being preordained, I don't think that's completely true. I think it's only preordained in one metric and it's typically economics. That's typically what it is, right? Because you see a lot of these arranged marriages. The guy's financially well off he can he can provide for her, but he's still in many deficits in other areas of life because He's kind of been raised to be this cash cow. And I think the other elements of what it is to be a man and how to cultivate the feminine are lost in that. So right, I need to earn X amount. And again, it goes back to it becoming all of these tangible metrics, right? Because a lot of the things you need to actually have a good relationship and to cultivate the feminine are intangible things, right? I would say a man needs to create the space for a woman's femininity to flow, right? He needs to create that kind of, that. that he needs to be the, the container for that. And how do you cultivate that? How do you teach that? How nuanced is that? And especially when you think about a lot of these communities where they don't actually have indirect proxy with women, how do you actually even learn that? I think perceived hypergamy is ordained in those sorts of situations, but it doesn't always kind of transfer Mm -hmm. over to an actual conducive relationship. You, You can change the the societal kind of influence you can change society as whole and society is constantly going through many iterations but biology isn't moving it's almost like that stays relatively binary and then we end up making choices that go against that and at least it is conundrum and, and even going back to like polygamy right you know with women being inherently hypergamous and men having more of a polyamorous nature you know you think about you know a woman gets pregnant she has to kind of uh, hold that baby for nine months she, she's garnering that life she's, she's bringing forth that life right she can't procreate again a man can Impregnate. I don't know X amount of women in one day so when you bring it back to that you see why it makes sense women want to perpetuate the highest and best genes again for lineage to ensure that 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 child is strong and competent can go into the world and and doesn't run the risk of being vulnerable and then the men would go and spread their seed far and wide to ensure that their their lineage, their, their likeness continues to be perpetuated throughout the world but then when you think about how inconducive that is to having a balanced society where you're not having wars, you're not having a and you're having men that have access to women which is why men do things you can see why this monogamy has been kind of somewhat spread in and amongst society because it leads to conducive workforce right because if every man has a woman then he, his propensity for the violence goes down he's you know his propensity to revolt and start wars and start to go after those men that dog-eat-dog nature is somewhat kind of neutered right because he's been able to perpetuate his own seed and his own likeness so i think it's <laughs> There's many things, and with the, the ever-changing of our society, you can see how these things have somewhat stayed stagnant, but society has changed, and we're kind of trying to find our way in and amongst that.
0: When we talk of biology mm-hmm. and women's biological clock is ticking, when you have these conversations under mentality, mm-hmm. what's the general aim of the game?
1: Like I said, when we have discussions as, as mentality, we're not coming from an authoritarian perspective. We're just garnering conversation and seeing what comes as a byproduct of that. What I advise people to do is women start dating seriously younger because, again, there is a biological clock, right? You know, after a certain age, geriatric pregnancy is a thing. And if you want to have children, you need to go into the game, if you will, with that at the forefront of your mind and trying to best maximize that. I'd say men work on fortifying yourself, work on becoming the highest and best suitor um, to be able to have yourself the options that you would like. I think a lot of men, they, again, they've conceded to this idea of being more valuable. So they end up getting with what is asymmetrical to their value at the time, only to later find that just by by extension of just years and, and maturity and time just passing, their options are exponentially higher than they were before which leads to infidelity and things of that nature in their relationship because it's like, okay, I got a woman down here, but now I'm up here and I have access to all these women up here. Um, again, whether it's virtuous or not, uh, you know, it's subjective. And I think sometimes we have these sorts of conversations. Our moral compass is obviously going to have some sort of um, cloud in that, but I think men just work on yourself. And when you feel like you're at a point where you can you can be all those things to a woman, um, then go, and, go in there and, and you have no problems.
0: But how do you work on yourself?
1: I think just, Being an industrious person, I think just looking at areas in your life that you're lacking, right? So let's say, I always say the first place men should start is your fitness. You cannot be out of shape. It's unacceptable. It doesn't take much money. It doesn't take, even if you're living on your mum's couch, you can eat, eat the right sorts of foods. Mum's probably cooking for you at home. It's not costing you anything. Can't afford to go to the gym, work out at home go to the park, do some pull-ups, be in shape because when we think about being in shape, it, it speaks to many different things because it it, it kind of shows discipline, it shows drive. Manifestation of delayed gratification, right? Put the cake down and eat rice and chicken. It's dry and it doesn't taste as good. But that already says so many things, right? So just by being that, and it, and it shows that, you know, more attractive people get more promotions, they're, 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 they're more attracted to society as whole. And you just show up better, you're more confident, things in that niche. So I think just start with that. Ultimately, be industrious. Look at yourself critically, objectively—not so much for a subjective lens—and just be diligent on that. In that,
0: I want to wind down and kind of get to the heart of the conversation, and I want to ask you about male vulnerability.
1: Male vulnerability. I feel like men haven't been allowed to be vulnerable in those times where you know our forefathers were living in war, wartime times. There was no time to be vulnerable. And what happens is that that stern, stoic, unwavering, masculine mask if you will has been kind of passed on through generation to generation despite the fact that times have changed very much so but i don't believe in vulnerability in the the way it's kind of put forth now which is complete vulnerability which is like you know devoid of any duty and just being completely vulnerable like just complaining just complaining right moaning and complaining this idea that I'm being vulnerable by sharing my pains with you, which is cool, but there's a time and a place for it, right? Like it needs to be veered towards solution orientation, which is inherently masculine, right? Okay, cool. Be vulnerable. Tell me your issues. But now, what are we going to do about that? But it becomes stuck in this infinite loop of just being more vulnerable, being more vulnerable, sharing, crying. It it becomes so emotionally hinged that it, it lacks practicality. And I think that's where I see the issues when I think about. The, the current ideas of vulnerability nowadays. It needs to be moving in a direction. Okay, this is the this is the problem. We share the problem, we we can see it. You know, amongst wise counsel, we can discuss that, but where are we going from here? How are we going to move you away from that pain point and actually make that a catalyst for you being a higher and better version of yourself?
0: With that being said, it has been an honor and a privilege to have you, Corey. And Likewise. this has been a really productive conversation. We could go on for hours. Yeah,
1: I'm sure we could.
0: But are there any final remarks that you would like to say?
1: Um, just to the men out there, just don't concede. Just continue along this journey. And all of the things that ail you, they offer the seed of an equivalent benefit. So you, you're not getting that girl, you're not getting that promotion, you're not being able to have the car you want. That is literally put before you look at it as training. It's fortifying your character. You know, I always say we ask for strength, but then when the situations and the life circumstances come that will fortify the strength, we kind of move away from that. That's exactly the barbell you need to lift to allow yourself to become the man you want. It's not as difficult as it may seem and just consider it as training. And I would say the, the best games in life are the game that are, are infinite. And the, and the game of life, especially from the male perspective, especially how much you get to create your experience and literally become the man you wanna be, is so beautiful. So I think you just need to switch the lens in which you look at it from.
0: Thank you so much, Corey. And for all those who are listening and watching, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, wherever you are. And thanks for joining.